0: You're listening to the West End Frame Show.
1: Welcome to the West End Frame Show. I'm your host and West End Frame editor, Andrew Tomlins, and in this episode, we're going to be diving into the world of vocal injury. I'm in the podcast booth with a very lovely returning guest. Um, You've heard him before, and he's going to be discussing something pretty personal which he wanted to come on here and share. Before we get into it, let me hit you with the bio. So he's a voice, singing and performance coach, voice rehabilitation specialist, director and author. And in lands you know him as The Wizard. He has coached principal performers in pretty much every major show, so many shows in the West End and further afield. He's also worked across TV, you might have seen him pop up on Drag Race, um, but he's worked across film in the music industry and he's written multiple books and contributed to many magazines and newspapers alongside Charity Work and roles in education. In terms of voice rehabilitation, he has been working in voice clinics since 2003. He's had contracts with the NHS and worked as a private consultant for many ENT clinics. And I'm thrilled that he's here in 3D in person. So, welcome to the West End Frame Show, Dane Chalfin. Thank you, Andrew. It's wonderful to be back. And this time you're in the booth, the glamour. You're getting to see it all.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) This is not the kind of space where Dave usually spends his days. This
0: is actually exactly the kind of space where I usually spend my day. (laughs) Small rehearsal rooms in whatever building is available that's close to the client. No, this is actually quite a lot more spacious um, than some. Right. You know where it is, you can come back. (laughs) Before we get
1: into kind of... In more detail, how you are, on surface level, in terms of where you're at and gear and mind and stuff, how are you? What gear is the brain in today?
0: The, what gear is the brain in? I, was I supposed to bring it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me assuming that you're, you have one, yes. Um, well, like you, I am recovering from Musical Con, which we were both doing this weekend, mm-hmm. and it is a beautiful event, but it is very intense. Mm. Um so good. I'm feeling lots of joy, though, because it's so rare that you sort of get our whole little West End tribe in the same building at the same time. So it's it's like a family reunion or like a school field trip. You know, you just get to see everybody who you don't normally get to see together. So that's that was a real... Um, like, love fest and a good kind yeah. of energy recharger for me.
1: Sitting in the green room and yeah. just having good old full-out chats.
0: Good old kiki and a gossip. <laughs> and then we ended the
1: day with the LGBTQIA plus panel. Which, which you hosted beautifully, by the way. Thank you. Which I was so pleased you were there to share your wisdom. You had some important points to make. But it, it popped off, didn't it? That was incredible. Yeah,
0: it was great. and And so full. I mean, really beautiful just to see mm. that many... Um, queer kids and with their parents as well that was just awesome
1: yeah it's the parents that killed me there was so many takeaways they were so up for it I loved it so Mm. we're talking about vocal injury right Mm -hmm. and this time it's quite a personal angle that we're coming this from it's quite a personal story in a situation that you want to share and you want to talk about so paint the picture what's going on in your world what's happened
0: well I had Quite a massive vocal injury recently. Um, dun dun dun! Uh, by accident, purely by accident. I will tell the whole story. Uh, but the reason I wanted to talk about it was, you know, obviously I've been working in voice clinics for twenty years. I've been part of uh, that, taking that research forward. Um, you know, I've been involved in the rehabilitation of thousands of performers, and this is the first time I've had an injury. Wow! It is a question. The, the date is clear. I mean, it was it was going to come at some point because if you're a professional voice user, the date is clear. It's a question of when, not if, and also a question of how many times. Um, and yeah, so I was backstage at a festival with um, sort of a major recording artist that I look after, mm-hmm. being very sensible, being very quiet, drinking my ginger tea and eating a handful of almonds. And I got startled, and I aspirated, inhaled uh, half an almond, and it got lodged in my larynx. So, cut to me coughing, choking, sort of violently for quite a long time. It felt, I mean, it felt like years. I think it was probably under a minute before I finally managed to get the thing dislodged and back up.
1: It's terrifying. It was.
0: It was scary. Um, I mean, it couldn't have been in a better place. I mean, it was right next to the medic, so that was brilliant. But um, that amount of sort of uh, hard coughing and choking uh, was quite catastrophic for my right vocal fold. Um, I noticed after, I thought, oh, gosh, my throat feels a bit funny, and I left it a couple of days, and then I noticed, gosh, you know, my, my top end isn't really there. My voice is feeling really sort of delicate, really husky, and, um, And so I did what you're supposed to do. I went on a couple of days voice rest. Mm -hmm. Didn't really resolve. So I called my boss at the voice clinic, uh, Tori Bernay, the wonderful speech and language therapist, voice specialist. And I said, Tori, I think I've probably had a little hemorrhage. And she says, yeah, it sounds like it. And so we put me on what's called relative voice rest for two weeks. And relative rest is, and we have two kinds of voice rest. We have relative rest and total rest. Yeah. Relative rest is no singing, you know, no unnecessary talking, no talking over noise. You know, it's mm. very conservative. And I cut my workload by about half. Uh, normally I see probably minimum 30 clients a week plus whatever else is going on. And so I really cut it down uh, to only a few clients a day.
1: Because for context, in your sessions, normally when you're coaching, are you you're
0: very vocal? Well, I talk a lot, if you can imagine. <laughs> um, Surely not. Yes, I, I talk a little. Um, I I don't demonstrate a great deal anymore as a singer. There's nothing worse than going for a singing lesson and have your singing teacher give you a concert. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, that's so shady. Um, So, no, I I, I demonstrate when I need to. And sometimes that is actually just the shortest, fastest way of getting, you know, the result so they hear what you're talking about. Um, But I had to be really careful with all of that. My larynx didn't really respond favorably to relative rest. And so um, in my own performer's clinic, so I, uh, with Tori, I work in the performer specialist voice clinic at Guy's Hospital. And we had a clinic. Um, So I went in and I said, can we please scope me? Because I don't think this is quite right. And we did. And what we saw was my right vocal fold. You could tell there was a hemorrhage that was resolving, but it was pretty bruised up and down the length of the cord. And so for context, just so you know what a hemorrhage is, you know, you've got blood vessels that run through your vocal folds. And if they burst uh you can bleed into the vocal fold. Uh it's it's basically a bruise. It's just like a bruise anywhere else. You know, it turns purple and then it turns yellow as it starts to heal. And I've got this big sort of yellow vocal fold and all these really prominent vessels running through it. And then we saw something we weren't expecting. Yeah. But wait, there's more. It
1: gets it gets worse it gets
0: worse. Um there was also a little polyp on the back um third of the right fold.
1: And what explain what that is.
0: A polyp is... is The easiest way to think of a polyp is like a little blister. So it's a superficial lesion. It sort of hangs on the edge of the vocal fold. We like nice sort of like straight vocal folds that kind of meet together quite nicely. This is a a superficial lesion that sits on the top of the fold that sort of gets in the way of how the vocal fold is vibrating against the other vocal fold. Polyps are intriguing uh, because... Um, depending on where they are on the vocal fold, um, as we go up and down in pitch, the vocal folds get stretched. And there'll be certain times where you sort of stretch the vocal fold and that little lesion gets right in the middle where the two folds are slapping each other and you can kind of hear it and you'll get sort of pitch mm. instability. And, mm. But then you get above those pitches and those are sort of usually okay. And below is usually okay. You can usually hear polyps sort of around two or three specific pitches where that polyp just goes, look at me, look at me, here I am. Mm. Unfortunately, I'm a tenor and the positioning of my polyp is couldn't be worse, really. Um, it starts to really show up when I get up around sort of like top A flat, A, B, and top C.
1: <laughs> unhelpful.
0: Yeah, really unhelpful, uh, because that's where I make my money <laughs> as a tenor. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh. Well, that, that's unfortunate. Um, the surgeon, our surgeon, Natalie Watson, who's really fabulous laryngologist, came in and had a look and went, yeah, you need to shut up for a couple of weeks and let's see what happens.
1: Ever flung a who-done-it across the room on the grounds of incompetent sleuthing? Ian Pearce hasn't because he's never read a whodunit in his life. He still boasts that he could solve one though. Listen and learn as this self-appointed crime guru attempts to guide a private investigator to the truth in an original murder mystery written by
0: Tom Knight. Welcome to The Directed Detective.
1: For context, you're outrageously busy. Mm-hmm. You're always teaching, you're mm-hmm. always doing bits mm-hmm. and you don't stop. Mm-hmm. I know you don't take long holidays. Mm-hmm. So for you to be told to stop everything for two weeks. Two weeks. Is not the easiest task in the world.
0: Well, it was doctor's orders, so I didn't really have a choice. It was you need that's not going to heal it's not responding to relative rest so you really need to just settle down so i took two weeks off
1: were you able to be very rational and to think this through like, i need to do this this and mm-hmm. this was there an emotional side of you the emotional side away? came later okay
0: yeah it, it's a great question because it's it's a the psychological side of voice injury is huge for most people I mean, I couldn't have been in a better position. You know, I I, I you know, uh, I do this for a living. Yeah. And I work in what I think is probably the best performers specialist ENT clinic in the world. It, we have incredible equipment. We have an incredible team. I have the best people around me. So there weren't any kind of great surprises about what I was going to have to do. The surprise was sort of how massive the injury was. And, of course, only I could have a catastrophic vocal injury through healthy eating. (laughs) Commas a what? Yeah. I mean, what? (laughs) You know. That serves you right. It serves me right. The moral of this story is just eat a cheeseburger (laughs) because you're much less likely to choke on it. Uh, Yeah. So I I knew what was coming. The hard thing for me in taking the two weeks off Mm -hmm. was this is going to sound so wet, I'm so sorry, but I, I, I'm just going to say it plainly. I felt really bad about all the people I wasn't going to be able to help. Because mm. that's kind of just in my personality. It's, it's part of my career. You know, I am a rehab specialist. I'm a coach. I'm a teacher. I I'm am I'm, I'm I help. That's what I do.
1: It's, it's like you do a lot more, but it's like your purpose. It's your day-to-day. It's what yeah. you're doing. It's like if I had to cancel my full recordings a day, I felt like I'm letting people down. It's yeah. a, The worst feeling that I could ever feel is is that.
0: Yeah, and it's hard. And it was hard, especially because the the nature of my clientele tends to fall into two categories. Quite complex voice injury, or like an emergency sort of situation, voice injury, unexpected accidental injury, uh, and really high-level performers, and often both at the same time. So, you know, jobs, recovery, careers it sounds dramatic, but are sometimes sort of at stake. And, you know, I'm a small part of keeping that whole machine going for people. But it is is a part, and sometimes that part is quite important immediately. Mm. And there were people where I had to say, look, I'm really sorry, but I'm not available. Mm, You're going to have to sort of work with other members of the team or with colleagues or whatever in the interim. And that's tricky because you build up a certain level of intimacy, with your clients, especially when you're going through an injury and not everybody's public about it. Mm. Well, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. (laughs) Um, Not everybody's public about it. And sometimes you're quite, you're, you're part of a very small number of kind of intimate teammates and they don't often want to go to somebody else. Even if that other person is really qualified and very capable because they don't have a relationship.
1: It's intimate, it's personal, Mm -hmm. it's private. Yeah, there's just a trust involved.
0: Yeah, so the, that the, there was this kind of profound feeling of letting people who are really important to me down. That was hard. Um, then the other thing that was surprising for me, because, of course, the emotional response to I've had an injury was, well, yeah, everybody has injuries. This is It's totally normal. It's normal when you're a vocal athlete. I use my voice eight hours a day. I just happened to have an accidental injury rather than a, you know, through some kind of abuse of voice. But um, when I had to stop working and then figure out some way to, like, fill my day and then not talk to anybody, because it was, you need two weeks total voice rest. And I went, and I, you know, my daughter um, lives with me. So it was really, we, we were kind of doing sign language and charades. <laughs> <laughs> and and texting, yeah, you know, to communicate yeah, with each other. Yeah. So that was that was weird to not... Uh, I had so, I guess, just taken the fact that, you know, I'm a loquacious person, I use my voice all day long. All of a sudden I didn't have it. And it makes even achieving the simplest tasks, if you're on total voice rest, really frustrating. Like trying to go to the grocery store and like ask where something is and having to like type it in your phone. And, you know, whoever's trying to help you is looking at you like you're insane. Or even trying to just help my daughter, you know, like, Dad, wears my gray jumper? <laughs> um, and having like, text back. Trying to walk the dog, you know, without talking to the dog. I talk to my dog constantly. I don't realize. That. My poor dog was probably really grateful of the fact that I just shut <laughs> up for it. Stop going on at me all the time. um. And then, so it was that initial frustration was quite um, surprising. And then the sort of the depression that came really caught me off guard because I wasn't communing with anyone. My relation, I wasn't seeing, talking to my friends. I wasn't, you know, and I'm not a big texter. Like I'm old. <laughs> like texting texting only got invented when I was in like my late teens. So, you know, I this is like, you know, I am that person if you text me, I will call you back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> like my millennial sort of friends just, you know, it's like don't text him cuz he will ring you. Um, I just, it's not my preferred medium. Mm-hmm. I like I like to hear people's voices. So, yeah, feeling really kind of just isolated and lonely, and if you if you ever, you know, don't we, we don't prescribe voice total voice rest very often. It's only in the cases of like really bad laryngitis or in like a hemorrhage, or for a few days after a surgery. But hemorrhage is the one time where you do prolonged total rest. Actually, so just let the tissue heal, because if you just keep those vocal folds slapping each other, you will just burst the vessel again.
1: And at the end of those two weeks, what what were they hoping to see? What's the
0: well? What we're hoping to see, and what I think we will, because we I've done the two weeks now. Um, I'm actually getting hence why you're doing a podcast. Why I'm doing a podcast today? (laughs) Yes. This this was recorded after the two weeks. Um, I'm actually in my voice clinic tomorrow, running a a clinic. So um, I'm getting a review scope tomorrow to see what the state of play is. What we're hoping to see is just a nice, uh, sort of pearly white vocal fold with no yellowing, no prominent blood vessels. That would be a healed hemorrhage. What we're intrigued about is whether or not that little polyp at the back is going to reduce in size over time. And they can. That's the nice thing about vocal fold lesions is sometimes they can actually just reduce in size if you're careful with them. Um, And even when they don't, most of them can be worked around to a certain degree, depending on where they're positioned. So we'll have to wait and see uh, whether or not I'm going to have to have that surgically removed or not. Don't know. Yeah. Um, the surgery doesn't scare me. It you know was really funny, though. Um, <laughs> Natalie, my surgeon, said, um, who, who would you want to do the operation if we did have to do it? And I said, well, you. And she goes, I don't want to be the person who f***ed up Dane Chalfin's larynx. <laughs> And, and I was like, that's not my concern. <laughs> I'm the patient in this situation. I was like, you need to not worry about my voice and my jaw. It's like, I need I need a working voice. So, you know, you're going to have to get over I it. I <laughs>
1: can understand where she's coming from. She makes a valid point. <laughs> and did you think about how you wanted to share this? I mean, you're, I know you were doing this and you'd have spoken to some people, but were you thinking about the stigma attached to it? Because you, I know, before me, you are very honest. You know this is very factual. Having an injury is not an implication of someone's technique, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But did you almost... did this, was, there kind of, was there any shame lingering? Was there any no. thought process of, oh, gosh, what am I going to do? Am I going to tell the people about this? Was that even a
0: decision? No, none. The first... One of the first conversations I had with my team was, well, this is great. I've, I just need to find the right medium uh, in which to share this information, because I have been flying this flag of no shame, no stigma about voice injuries, especially in the West End. You know, where there is a lot of shame and stigma and gossip and assumptions that you know if somebody has an injury, they're somehow you know a substandard performer or their technique is bad. And you know that's true in certain cases. Some people do have injuries through abuse. Some have it through overuse. Uh, Some people do have technical uh, behaviors that are more likely to uh, cause problems to the soft tissue uh, in their vocal folds. But a lot of the injuries that we see in the clinic are just purely accidental, much like mine. So I didn't want To be quiet about it. (laughs) I wanted to talk about it because I thought if anybody's in a really privileged position to kind of get this conversation happening publicly and transparently, it's me. You know, I don't have anything to lose by having this conversation. I have everything to gain because I can bring the science. I can bring 20 years of clinical expertise to this discussion. And... I don't have any worry about what it's going to make people think about, you know, my voice use. It was an accident. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I'm not concerned about that at all. I really wanted to use this opportunity to get the discussion happening, especially in London, especially in the West end where people have a tendency to be quite secretive about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that does anybody any favors. I think we need to talk about, these things you know if somebody gets a frozen shoulder or somebody twists an ankle or somebody has an accident with a set piece or whatever on stage nobody goes oh well of course they've got awful set piece and ankle technique you know nobody has any shame when they you know break a limb but for some reason singers actors feel profound sense of shame and secrecy over injuries and they are so common you know, like I said before, it's a question of when, not if. If you are, if you're an athlete who's sort of playing at Olympic level, you get injured, and then you rehab it and you get back on the pitch. Mm. Look at me doing sports references, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've just been talking about Deering in The last podcast I did, it's all been very frighteningly sporting. The in too. here, yeah. I think it's. I wouldn't the, go that I far. <laughs> I think it's the booth. <laughs> but I'm playing. But what if you know? Other people were like, "Oh well, Dane doesn't know what he's talking about." Obviously, clearly, Dane, Dane, this. What would you say to people, other, other coaches, other people, other performers, Ooh. who uh, who kind of almost use it to their advantage?
0: Um, if any of my colleagues tried anything like that, I actually think that says a lot more about them than it does about me,
1: because the stigma is being reinforced.
0: Yeah, I'm not. Uh, you know, I can't imagine anybody doing that, but if they did. You know that that's a comment on their character. It's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> I wish people could see the face right now. <laughs> <laughs> a, to play. It's an interesting question. I mean, I can't imagine anybody in the voice world doing that. But you know, you never know. I mean, there are there are there are good eggs and bad eggs everywhere. I guess. Mm. I always tell everybody, don't read the comments. Don't, you know what anybody else thinks of you is none of your business. Mm. You know what do you think of you? Mm. I think I've been a pretty. Um, A good contributor to my field for a really long time and i think i had an accident if anybody wanted to exploit that let them (laughs) (laughs) if we
1: speak almost more broadly though some people who would be saying things like that would be people who are you know have had that stigma or are, are part of that stigma and there's such a thing in the West End specifically about the eight show week and mm. who's consistent and who's got good technique. And, oh, that person would never go off. That person has st- a cords of steel. Um, that person really knows what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. Whereas that person, oh, yeah, they're just, they, they riff in a show, so they're reckless and they're unsafe. And there's so much kind of false sayings and thoughts and things that really stick with people isn't there when people I'm I'm just like seeing myself with this, when people who don't know the science of vocal technique try and start talking about vocal technique
0: (laughs) I think you just have to remember that the human beings are made of all kinds of different tissue you know, skin, bone, soft tissue mucosa, ligaments and Stuff can go wrong at every level for all sorts of reasons. People with hypermobility can be more prone to joint injuries. Um, People who have periods can be more susceptible to things like vocal fold hemorrhage two or three days either side of the onset day of the period when the vocal folds are retaining more fluid. Um, People can be corseted so tightly and that it affects their breathing and their support to the point where it starts to create muscular problems in their larynx. People can be wearing half the set on their head or big lopsided wigs with mic packs stuck in them or costumes that weigh, um, you know, a hundred kilos. People can be on raked stages. People can be in high heels that throw off their center of gravity. People can be asked to, assume very unhelpful positions physically Mm. that throw, you know, their technique a little bit, the, the efficiency of their technique a little bit one direction or the other. So nobody's bulletproof. And even the people who are, you know, technically set up, you know, really efficiently, who train very hard, still have injuries, still have accidents. It's just part of doing this job at these intensities. And we see it a lot, even on touring. I mean, people who tour are always so exhausted. They have very little control over the environment in which they stay. There can be environmental factors, you know, mold, seasonal allergies, respiratory tract infections. There are just so many things that can throw off the delicate balance um, at vocal fold level and like any soft tissue you know you whack it hard enough the wrong way on the wrong day <laughs> or in the wrong you know position and something can go wrong and also stress and emotion plays a huge part and that's not woo woo that's science there are there are there are measurable muscular uh changes that happen in a vocal tract and in an abdomen when people um when people's nervous system is quite up Um, when people are repressing a lot of emotion. So if we all just treated performers like human beings, all of that would be a given. You know, you kind of wouldn't expect your mum to be like parent of the year the day after her mum died. Yeah. But for some reason you expect... West End Wendy to you know go up the cherry picker and do bromography while belting top E's and F's the day after her mum died. It's like why? That's just the 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 lack of empathy.
1: Well, almost to take it more extreme, I'd say somebody who's working in an office or working from home and is doing an admin based role um It's almost, you you can make certain allowances, you can take your day easier, not do as much that day, not do as many tasks as usual, talk to fewer people, etc. But if you're a West End performer, you don't have that option. You have to do the same show, you have to hit the same notes, um, you have to talk to everybody and, you know, do your thing, and there's fans as well to bring into the equation. There's all sorts of things and you can't just kind of go half ass one night. Like, it's a very different thing altogether.
0: Well, what you ought to do is call your company manager and say, somebody else is going to have to go on tonight, because I don't have it. You know, there is a there was a great interview with one of the Broadway Elphabas, mm-hmm. um that I really enjoyed, where she said, the, one of the things that I learned about um, my own body and my career through playing Elphaba for example was I call in when my light goes from green to yellow not when it goes to red she goes if my body's having a you know I'm no longer on the green light if if that yellow light is on I go um that's the day I call in because then I know I'll probably be back tomorrow if I wait until I'm on red mm-hmm. that's going to be two or three days off mm. And that's smart. I mean, that is smart. And and Alice Fern, I don't know just talking of another alphabet, um, told a great story in her master class um, at Musical con this weekend. She said um, she was talking about vowel modification. Yes. And she said, um, I was just coming off stage and the musical supervisor sort of grabbed me and said, I'm really sorry, but can you just sort of change that vowel to this? And she said, no, darling. And got in the lift and went to a dressing room.
1: <laughs> no, i never had anything more Alice than that.
0: <laughs> but then she elaborated because she said, no, I know that that's going to make my throat work too hard. So if you want me to do eight this week, I'm going to do it like this. If you want me to sing it like that, I'm only going to be able to give you four. And it takes a, a confident performer to say that, mm-hmm. you know, to part of the creative team to say, no, I can't do that because it actually makes me feel uncomfortable, physically uncomfortable. And that's not going to be sustainable for me. Um, I think more people need to do that.
1: Yeah, we need all... so Alice is a great example of a person who will call things out. If something from equity isn't good enough, she will tweet about it. (laughs) She will not take on notes that are ridiculous, etc. But there's an overwhelming feeling in this industry that you have to be grateful to be in the room. You have to do everything. Your voice isn't important. And you're almost conditioned from the moment you get into the industry to feel like that because of so many reasons. And it's something that needs to be or that we need to look at, like, I just think, on, you know, even look on Broadway, they have so many more rights, their equity contracts protect them in so many more
0: ways across the board. America, I, I can talk on this with a little bit of authority, that's where I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, although I have lived in the UK for over half my life now, I have worked in uh, around Broadway shows and Australian shows and German shows and... Um, Where the Americans are concerned, you know, you have to remember that society is far more litigious than ours is in England. And so medical legal cases are not uncommon. Yes. And that's an interesting one over here because I think we're slowly having these conversations. But sometimes from my clinic's perspective, I have to act as the interpreter between the clinic and the producer so if we've got somebody you know in a who's contracted in a show who sustains an injury and our laryngologist says here's the advice and the, the, the voice specialist speech therapist says and here's the advice and we as a team um, liaise with physio and we liaise with the producers and we say look this is the medical advice if the producers don't follow it and you've got a letter, you know, from Guy's Hospital saying this is the advice based on what we've seen, they haven't got a leg to stand on if somebody decides to sue. Somebody decides to sue because they, they further injure themselves because they're pressurized into doing more or whatever. They're going to lose that case because you've got clear medical advice, you know, on paper. And this is the one thing that I think performers sometimes have to remember is that if they're dealing with injuries, you know, you have your medical team around you. But the problem with that is that it assumes you have to wait until you've had something injurious enough to end up in the clinic before you have a right to say, no, this is how we need to adapt things. What I would like to see happen is every performer in town put their foot down and say, no, I'm sorry, that makes my throat work too hard. That makes my body feel uncomfortable. That piece of choreo makes it really impossible for me to sing this particular thing. You know, there was a show I worked on where they wanted the poor soprano to belt a top G whilst hanging backwards off a ladder. <laughs> and I I hadn't seen the staging until a little later in the, in the pre-production process. And I I just came in. and I went, "What are you doing? You, you've got, you've got her head on like a sixty-five degree angle. Her larynx is pointing uh, one direction, and the rest of her vocal tracks pointing the other direction. And you're asking her to sing something at that, that intensity. You're gonna hurt her. You can't do that." So they had to change it. Well, she could have mimed, but you know. Uh, well, um, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. <laughs> the um, I was like, "You can't do that." So. It had to be changed because that yeah, was yeah, a safeguarding yeah. issue. Good. But I think, I wish the performers would stand up more. Because like you said, you know, there's this attitude of like, I should be grateful to be here. I should be grateful to have a job is silly. They hired you. And, you know, I'm no, no tea, no shade. It is important. The musical supervisor is important. The musical director is important. The choreographer is important. But nobody bought tickets to see whoever's conducting the band. They bought tickets to see that performer play that part in that show. The performer really is the central spoke. If you don't have the performer, you don't have the role. You don't have the narrative. You don't have the story. That's what we're all going to theater for. So the performer really should be treated, in my opinion, as the central spoke in the wheel. That That's... That just seems so obvious to me.
1: And protected and looked after. Yeah. And, you know, heart, you know. Nurtured. Nurtured, exactly. You know,
0: kept safe. And because without them, you don't have anything. But I think sometimes, you know, it's human nature. You get egos and you get what I wanted this way. And, you know, but on the page it says like this. And but this is a really cool piece of choreo. And you just go, if everybody just works as a team and goes, what do we just, what do we do here just to make sure that nobody hurts themselves? Mm. And that the audience still gets a really lovely story, then then that's great. But I think it's hard sometimes, especially with musical directors. They're 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 so that we have so many good ones. We have some really great ones, you know, in London. But musical directors look. At music, like musicians, mm. most of the time they look at it like math. You know, it is this word, it is this pitch, it is this note, and this is the you know how we want it. And sometimes the performers having to make alterations for comfort, you know, like changing vowels or like shortening notes or sort of hitting something and getting off of it. Or if they are having, let's say, they're in their premenstrual window, for example, they're retaining a bit of fluid. Go, mm, I'm actually going to take that melody down or cut that note short or whatever because it's actually not feeling great. And then sometimes they get in trouble, you know, for making those sorts of choices where I think if you just listen to the performer, the performer says that really feels uncomfortable. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to take it a bit easier today. I'm going to have to be a bit lighter today. I'm going to have a discussion with sound and say, you guys are probably going to get slightly lower levels from me today because I don't have the output that I would normally have. They're easy adaptations to make. And it's not like it makes or breaks the show. So I don't understand why people get kind of as precious about it as they do. Yeah,
1: Yeah. well, well, it's that exactly. But if we were all understanding and considering the effects that it can have on the performer, who you want to be happy and healthy so they can perform eight shows a week where possible so their audiences are as happy as possible, et cetera, then it's kind of simple.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Just if everybody (laughs) treats everybody else like a human being.
1: But this is interesting because <laughs> this whole topic is not like it's... I mean, it is, it is top-down like everything. The change comes from top-down. But the stigma surrounding it is at every single level mm. ingrained in everybody. I'm sure it starts in drama schools. Um, as to when you're healthy, you know, who's got a healthy voice, who's got good technique. I'm sure um, vocal injuries is a negative thing from the second you start. Then throughout the whole industry. But it's like, how do we actually change the perspective what do we actually do
0: well we advocate for ourselves we put our foot down something feels uncomfortable something makes us feel overly taxed muscularly something feels like hard work you know physically to achieve to sing that pitch on that vowel or in that way or whatever we we advocate for ourselves we put our foot down and say no Mm. We say, no, darling, like Alice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We channel our fun.
0: That's it. We say, no, darling. And um, not if you want it eight times. (laughs) And that's that's how we do it. One performer at a time saying a respectful no. Mm. Let's discuss it. Let's find a compromise Mm. that everybody's happy with. Not a performer being dictated to. And then being worried that by doing something as simple as saying, I'm sorry, no, this is what I need to be able to do my job well, which would be taken for granted anywhere else. Here is what I need in order to accomplish this task. Here's what I need in order to do my job. Mm. That should just be normal behavior, but it's every performer has got to have the confidence to actually stop and say, no, I am grateful to be here that doesn't mean I should do things that make me physically uncomfortable or that tax my body too heavily to stay here.
1: Mm. Totally. So where are you at now? What's, what's going on in your brain now? What are you, I'm sure in some ways you've learned, so you're talking about the mental side of things and understanding all of that and the things that you've been through there. Um, there is you know, there's the you don't know what the next steps are yet. So you're in limbo. Where are you at? How are you feeling today, right here, right
0: now? <laughs> um, I feel I feel happier than I did a few days ago. Good. And earlier last week when I was absolutely silent and kind of cut off from the world. That wow. was just a very weird, dark, sort of lonely place to be. Mm. But it what the beautiful thing about that was though is it did actually just make me slow down. It made me realize there's probably stuff from the last couple of years, just stress and emotion and personal things that I hadn't kind of slowed down and really dealt with or let myself experience or feel. The skeletons were all presenting themselves. <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of like, because I'm so busy all the time, it's really easy for me to kind of try and outrun my feelings when life happens. Mm-hmm. That's just because I, so, I had to actually stop. And it was like, oh, Wow. I I forgot. Like I got divorced and moved house and like did all this stuff, but didn't really get a chance to have any downtime. So there was a there was a really hidden kind of like great benefit for that. I was talking to my therapist about it, and it was it was really quite profound actually to just stop and feel some of that stuff, mm. um, and also to confront that feeling of not just being as useful, knowing that like it's okay. I'm allowed to maybe have two weeks off. That was weird. Um, And quite nice.
1: But listen, you need to listen to yourself because look at performance and well-being and stuff. We all need to have two weeks off sometimes. We need to have our downtime. We need to protect ourselves. We need to digest things. It's all important for you as well.
0: Yeah, I know. It's like taking my own advice is not as easy as I thought it was going to be. So um, tomorrow I'm back in my clinic. Tomorrow I have my review. Tomorrow we'll see. I, I think... Based on how my voice feels, I think the hemorrhage is probably resolved at this point. Um I, You know, I did, I did what I was told to do by my therapist. I reintroduced a little bit of airflow and a little bit of mobility stuff and just got my vocal folds vibrating a little bit, you know, at, at a time for a few days. And my speaking voice sort of feels fine. The top end, there's a little bit of mobility uh, there, which is great. I'm curious to see whether or not this polyp is sort of reduced in size or whether or not it's going to stick around for a bit. And if it does, there's a little bit of therapy um, that can be done around that. And I'm very lucky that I work next to the best voice therapist in this country, in my opinion. Um, So I have her right there, which is wonderful. So we'll we'll just wait and see. And if I have to have surgery, I'll have surgery. Mm. And I know I'll be in really good hands. Mm. But... What, what's been great about this is that it's given me a sort of behind-the-scenes perspective on what it is to have an injury. Because I've never had one. I've had periods of disorder. I've had periods of muscular imbalance. I've had periods where my voice were, was not great because of really high levels of stress and emotion and, and things like that. Um, but I've never had an acute sort of tissue injury before. So this has been my first one although I got two I got two for the price of one which was very <laughs> which is kind of in keeping with me as a as a human I never buy anything if it's not in the sale double trouble yeah <laughs> buy one get one free excellent um so I have a lot more empathy first hand I guess empathy for a lot of the the clients I mean I'm always empathetic towards what they're going through but until you experience it you don't quite know what it's going to be like mm. you you can you get a pretty good imagining you know, pretty good imagined idea of it but i didn't realize how it was going to make me feel and but again the great thing about that is knowing that i've got a really great kind of safe place to come and talk about that knowing that i've got a megaphone because of who i am and what i do to really make this conversation louder mm. what i'd like to see happen after this episode, is I'd like to see more performers who are comfortable with sharing their own stories of injury, to share them. I, I The performers who do it, I think, are really brave and often get responses that they're not expecting, really positive responses. I think the more especially high-profile performers who kind of come out, as it were, and say, you know, hey, yeah, it's happened to me too. And look at everything I've done since. Mm. And and here's what I did to get better. And here's what I'm doing now. Shows younger performers who, or maybe earlier career performers or people in training, that there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's not scary. What you have to do is, if you arm yourself with information... And science. Um, it's nothing to be afraid of. There's always a way through. We can always get better. We can always make the changes we need to make to try and prevent it from happening again or more frequently. And yeah, I really hope that people start talking about it. I, I hope that I can be sort of some sort of catalyst for that. Mm. That's what I hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the more we are honest with each other and the more we empathize with each other Mm. and the more we share our stories about being human, you know, and being human is messy. Whether you are a, a barrister or a cyclist or a West End performer, being human is messy. It's life is messy, And we're all kind of just chugging along through it as best we can together. And I think the more we share authentic stories about those sort of trials and tribulations, the better we all feel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hugely appreciate you coming in and sharing it in this warm space, um, in this podcast booth. And I think what's interesting is that... you have a split on who listens to this podcast, right? We'll have people in the industry, performers, et cetera, who'll be learning, who'll be readjusting their preconceptions and their knowledge around vocal injury. It's also fascinating for people like me, who isn't a performer, who isn't directly performing, who doesn't know technical things about voice, technique, et cetera, to understand it and to appreciate to another degree of what people go through in this industry, in this chosen career and how crazy it is. And yeah, we said we'll do this and then we'll see what happens. And we'd love to kind of pop back to this subject in the future, wouldn't we? And have some more conversations about it. Because so I think it's really important. And I think there's so many takeaways and so much more education that needs to be done in this area, in this in this industry.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I hope that company managers, producers, MDs, um, choreographers costume and wig departments, I hope everybody, I hope that this gets shared around, even sort of beyond the performers, so that, because I don't think anybody is ever trying to do anything out of spite, but just through just a lack of awareness, and I think the more we have this conversation with the whole team, the whole crew, to explain how some of this stuff works and what can contribute to it, the better. Um, so that we realise our performers aren't being divas. They are trying to stay safe so that they can get up and tell stories eight times a week and make everybody money.
1: But at the moment, they're spending too much time worrying about if they will be perceived as a diva or they mm. will be that difficult person or they'll have negative connotations they pulled out too many shows, they won't get cast in anything else because blah, 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 blah. And It's all nonsense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Listen, thank you. Have we covered everything? I think so.
0: <laughs> and thank you for letting me come and do it here. I, you were the first person I thought of, uh, and this was the first environment I thought of when I thought, where do I want to go to do this? Because it goes directly to so many people who I know it can help. Um, And I knew it would be done in a really respectful way. So uh thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it.
1: Not so. Well, I'm... I'm sad that we're having to do it because of what you're going through in a difficult way, but I'm delighted to talk to you again. And we got to talk to each other yesterday, so we're making a habit of this, aren't we? It's good. (laughs) Where do people, where can they follow you, where can they stay up to date with all things Dane?
0: At www.danechalfin.com and Instagram is at Dane Chalfin. And the other things that they should know about from a voice perspective, the British Association for Performing Arts Medicine, that's BAPAM, .org.uk Help Musicians UK uh, which is a charity that provides funding um, for specialist care when it might not be available um, in in a performer or a musician's immediate area that's Mm -hmm. helpmusicians.org.uk and also the British Voice Association Mm -hmm. Um, these are all really good places to get um, greater insight and an opportunity to connect with people who really kind of know what they're talking about when it comes to the medical side of the performing arts industry
1: brilliant last time we were discussing your merch but this time i have something for you oh wow you don't go away empty-handed I you can't. come oh, into wow. the booth? this is the positive coming in you do don't get too excited though i am excited but this is sustainable it's made fully from recycled <sighs> materials we're saving the planet it's your very own West End Frame tote bag.
0: Thank you so much. I always <laughs> need a tote bag you can because s- of the amount I shop. I try not to, to, <laughs> to take cardboard uh, or plastic bags. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. Not at all. Thank you. Listen, I will see you soon.
1: Um, and thank you for listening to this episode of the West End Frame Show. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. Follow, subscribe, check out our other podcasts, In The Frame, and I'll be back next week for another stagey catch-up. Thank you, Dane. Thanks, Andrew.